new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this uh, second episode of the week for the State of Recruiting Podcast. I'm Mike Roach, joined by Hudson Standish. And if you're listening to this, you're probably like, hey, didn't we just get an episode yesterday? Um, you know what? We're, uh, we're guys who like to make good on promises. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a podcast episode last week. Um, and so Hudson suggested maybe we double up and throw a mailbag together. Uh, so you're getting uh, you're getting the same amount of content. You're just getting it packed in a little extra this week. Uh, before we get to these questions, Hudson, how's it going? Going good. Yeah. No, it is funny the phrasing. It's like a little marketing brain. Like, oh no, this is a bonus episode instead of just it's exactly what our normal schedule is as far as a monthly basis. But we're just packing them together. Um, I think uh, the important thing to uh stress here is if you would like to be part of the mailbag in the future the way we gather those questions is through the horns 24 7 message board so please subscribe um and you can get 30 percent off as you see here at the bottom of our screen um and you can be featured in the next mailbag all right let's uh let's jump right into it we had a lot of great hey, questions Mike, uh, also potentially joining the mailbag to full-time uh recruiting analyst pipeline that we have going that's true. Hudson was a uh, mailbag uh, uh, contributor on version one of our uh, of the Hornish twenty four seven recruiting podcast. No interviews, please. So, um, you know, look at look at what it's done for him. Um, all right, uh, let's jump right in here uh, and let's get to our first question. All right, from Bevo one hundred and one, what percentage chance would you give Texas to land a top eight class for the twenty twenty three recruiting class, uh, cycle, not including transfers? Well, I think I'll first say that I don't think you can remove transfers from the equation because they have become such a big part of what your class looks like. Where staffs are now actively factoring in the transfer portal to a recruiting class, saving spots, and all those sorts of things. Regardless, I do think uh, I hate giving percentages because I, I I just feel like I'm always either way under or way over. I, I feel like they've got a really good chance of going higher than eight. Um, and we're going to talk a little more. I think there's a couple questions about the floor and ceiling of this class with certain players. Uh, hint, hint. But um, I would say, I don't know, 70 percent chance that uh, they go above top eight. And uh, I mean, I think that that's. If we see them be as aggressive in the portal as they have been, um, I think that percentage number goes up. Yeah, I was. That's funny. I was actually thinking like seventy-one percent after I was crunching the numbers. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know, like eighty percent. These are all just kind of made-up numbers, but like we're going to get to later, it all factors—not all, but 
a large percentage of it does factor on one recruit. And if they land him, it's hard to imagine a class with him in it that doesn't end up at least top eight. And before we get on to the rest of these questions, so we uh, we solicit the questions on the message board. We kind of go through them, pull the ones we're going to answer. And what I really tried to do today is there were a lot of questions that um, – weren't exactly the same question, but they are the same discussion points. Um, so I feel like I tried to, if we didn't get to your question, what I did was I at least tried to get something similar so we could kind of encapsulate, uh, you know, maybe both questions within one. So uh, if we didn't get to it, please be patient with us, but we're going to try to answer just about everything. All right, let's move on to our next question uh, from Hookum361. How many O-linemen do you expect Texas to sign in this class? And could you rank the top three needs or picks for the offensive line? Thanks, guys. Hudson, you want to go first on this? Yeah. The number has kind of been four as a conservative one, and then maybe five if they get just everybody that they're looking for. I think four is a safe number, and the top three picks, I guess. Um, Mike, did you interpret that as just kind of like the top three guys on the board? Yeah, I would say they're top three priorities on one. I'm trying to think. So the first one off the top of my brain, you have um, Harris Sewell from Odessa Permian. You have Jaden Chapman from Colleen Harker Heights. And then I think you, for the third spot, it's kind of hard to pick somebody definitively. You have Connor Stroh, Andre Kojo, and Ian Reed as three that I'm immediately thinking of. And so I'd probably say Ian Reed for my third, at least. That's what I kind of think. I know that they do love Andre Kojo a lot. Uh, Mike, what are your kind of thoughts on the question? I think four is the safe number. I think they could go to five if they obviously if they get a guy they really like. I think it'll be a heavy in-state focus. Um, they're not in on a lot of guys out of state at the moment. I would say that your top three are, are what my top three would be. Um, the only addition I would make is, and, and I don't think this recruitment is particularly trending well for Texas, but I think they would be really high on getting TJ Shanahan from Westlake um, and adding him to that mix as well. So I think he's kind of in that top group as well. And, um, you know, we'll kind of see how that shakes out. Although I, I think they've got some work to do real quick too. Something that I always forget when we're talking about offensive line recruiting on the podcast we do have to kind of factor in Marcus Deal and Zaylance Hurd, even though right now they're being recruited on the defensive side of the ball. They are thought to be higher upside offensive line players, and it could maybe affect um, how their how how the class is shaped together. Because if you take four offensive linemen, but you also know that either Marcus Deal or Zaylance Hurd is in the class, there's a shot that they could be the best offensive lineman of the group as well. So that's something kind of to keep an eye on. Um, and yeah, it's yeah. funny the TJ Shanahan thing, Mike, because he's just so kind of out of my brain uh, when it comes to Texas recruiting. And you know, things change, but that 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 is a good point. It's a great point you bring up about Deal and Heard. Uh, one of the so one of the points that we didn't include as an original question, but kind of came right after this is which of those guys can play left tackle? Um, and I think probably Kojo is the. Um, your prototypical size-wise, although I think uh, just game-wise, just seeing him, I think he's more of an interior player. I actually think 
and it's not a great tackle class. It's a lot of interior bodies and, and things like that. But I think if I had to pick out a group, I guess I'd like Jaden Chapman the best out of yeah. Uh, Chapman's my pick. I think he could. I think he could play left tackle because he because the big thing, even though Chapman isn't six six, he is he is tall enough. He has enough length. He looks like a tackle, and I believe that he has really good arm length, which is what. Um, the college coaches and NFL coaches really crave. And also, even though Andre Kojo is an interior body, and I agree with you, I think that he's a guard all the way. If Kyle Flood does develop him, I mean, Andre Kojo has, I believe, an 85 and a half inch wingspan. So you're talking about ridiculous level arm length for a kid that basically just turned 16 years old. So he's going to be a longer curve guy. But somebody that you shouldn't discount if you only have watched a little bit of his uh, tape, or if you just are stargazing and looking at the profile and see that he's not super highly ranked. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get on to our next question. Comes to us from Wino. Uh, what is your estimate on the floor or ceiling of the class ranking with or without Arch, uh, considering all the talent that would come just to play with him? So I think you do have to talk and we've, I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but you do have to have two scenarios in your head. I think that, I think the odds on favorite is that it's a higher ranked class with Arch just by virtue of the fact that he's the number one player in the country and his addition is going to boost the numbers quite a bit, let alone the uh, guys that come along to play with him. Um, And we'll see on that stuff, man. Like I know we talk about it every year, and I do believe that there are guys that want to play with Arch Manning, and it might help sway a decision. But how many times do we hear it, hear it, hear it, and then it just doesn't end up mattering either way, you know, when they get yeah. it. So um, it's always a mixed bag. I think um, if you're talking about a class with Arch, your floor, I would say, is top five, top six. And I think your ceiling could possibly be – two or three. I, I don't know that they're just going to have enough to hit number one um, because it takes a lot. It takes, you know, multiple five stars and, and really expanding your reach outside of the state, and being able to grab guys from all over the country who rate very highly. I don't know that that's part of the plan, but I think that the ceiling could possibly be two or three. Yeah. Um, so, I, Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, like, yeah. For, so without arch, I still think, Depending on who they get to in his place or, or whatever they do with it, I still think they have the makings of a top 10 class uh, floor-wise without him. I think the ceiling of that could be 7, 8, something like that. Yeah, so I had it – and, Mike, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think that this question, even though it does get asked a lot, I think it's important to keep addressing because I kind of think it's like the linchpin of the entire Texas 2023 recruiting cycle. Like, I think it is the most – this is the one after it where you're going to get the true fork in the road after Arch's decision, and we really see how – so I, I love getting to talk about this basically anytime that we do a mailbag, um, even though I kind of know the question's coming. How I think of it in my head, I think it's a top eight floor with him, and that might even be low. I think it could even be five or six is the floor. And then, like you said, two or three being the ceiling. I just don't think they're after enough true out-of-state difference makers, blue chippers, to get the number one spot. Um, And then without him, shoot, I'd put the floor at like 14, 15, and then the ceiling at seven or eight yeah 
I, I think that's fair. Um, it, it would really just depend, again, on how much those guys do want to come play with him, who they got to replace him. I mean, there's a lot of variables at play there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's fair. And I think talking in context, it, it definitely does matter when we start talking about scenarios. Um, you know, a lot, a lot depends on that. All right, let's get on to our next question. Which 2023 out-of-state recruits does Texas have a very good chance with from Red Wings, EK028? Uh, Hudson, go ahead. Uh, the first name that I thought of was DeAndre Moore. That's one that Texas is really starting to get. Spencer Shannon, the tight end from Modern Day, is kind of growing on that list. Um, those were two that immediately came to my mind, and I'm trying to think of another other than, obviously, Arch Manning is kind of the layout. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's phrase this question as outside of Arch because I I do think obviously he's an out of state recruit. Texas is a very but it's almost yeah it is almost like he's an in state. It's weird. You're right. We don't think of him as as such because yeah, absolutely. You know, it's felt that way. Two guys I'll give you: one from Louisiana, Derek Williams, uh, the four star safety, and then Jordan. Yeah, Jordan Matthews as well, which I almost forgot until you mentioned him. I think Jordan Matthews probably, if we're going to lay off, yeah, I was about to say that's number one. And then another guy that we're starting to hear a lot of increased confidence on is the uh, running back out of Orlando, Florida, uh, Cedric Baxter. Oh yeah. Texas hosted in the spring. They're going to get back on an official visit. And people are starting to talk like that is becoming more and more of a possibility from sources we speak to from uh, other recruits. It sounds like Texas did a great job. Tashar Choice obviously had the relationship with him going back to Georgia Tech. And, and it seems to be paying off for Texas right now. Yeah, man, it is crazy that Tashar Choice is uh, – first off, he got uh, Trey uh, Wisner – to commit who is a four-star running back to set the floor. And he's all, he's chasing the number one and number two running backs in the nation at the same time. Like that's, that's some high level uh, positional recruiting right there. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to talk about the, we, we talk about it a lot on the show, but the value that Brendan Marion and Tashar Choice have brought to recruiting and kind of the surge of energy that they've put into this. And, and when you talk to guys at the running back position and the wide receiver position, um, you know, what they're saying about those two guys, I think is really impressive. And, you know, I think choice, even outside of positional recruiting running back, he's going to give Texas an end to the Southeast a little bit. Yeah. Now they're going to have to obviously start shipping away and it's tough to get kids out of Georgia, but I think that his ties there put them in in kind of the race for a lot of those types of people. So, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out of those positions. All right, let's move on to the next one. Over under three new commitments between now and the end of June. I'm always the conservative one on this podcast. Um, I'm always the one that goes under on these type of questions. I am going to go over uh, because, and I could get. I could get bit a little bit by like the exact timeline because I could, I could see like a lot of stuff happening in the first week of July um, that I think would be relevant, relevatory of like silence made during June and then announced in July. If you recall last year, the first week of July was insane. Uh, the number of July 4th commitments and all those sorts of things, which um for listeners of the podcast, for readers of our site, you know that if I go on vacation 
there's going to be commits. Well, today I have just submitted time off for the dates of June 27th to July 4th. Um, so I'm going to go over based on that. I've, I've been thinking about this question since I read it. I'm going to go over as well. I think it could be close, but the thing that I'm a little bit worried about, like, you know how it works, Mike, where Samaje Burrell, for example, commits, and we know that he is committed a week before he officially announces. And I'm kind of thinking the same thing you are, because that June 24th through 26th official visit weekend looks like it's going to be kind of popping. And I'm worried that um, the edit makers are not going to have enough time to get all the commitment graphics and videos ready for the end of June. But I'll say I'll say over anyway. I'd feel a lot better about this if Ryan Niblett hadn't uh, committed during the spring game because I was kind of thinking that he could be a June commitment after we saw him at Ike. Listen, if those kids commit on those visits and I know about it, I'm counting that as the over. Oh, yeah, I, I think so. We'll come back to that in the first or second week of July and say we got it right because we know that they committed on that visit. All right, let's move on to our next question from Valley Horn. What are the chances with Jordan Addison? Is it a real possibility or just a smokescreen for USC? Hudson, go ahead. I mentioned the smokescreen possibility on the last podcast. I don't think it's that. I think that he is giving Texas a shot. I still think it's going to be USC. I think that's probably the best answer. Texas is going to have a shot just because they have Britton Marion. I think yeah. that Addison's going to want to hear what Marion has to say. Um, and if Texas is, and from what we've heard, A, Texas is interested, and B, Addison is open to hearing from others. I mean, it only benefits him, especially if he's working on an NIL deal. It only benefits him to create some sort of bidding war. Absolutely. Um, so I do think there's an honest chance there. I just think it ends up USC probably at this point. Uh, Mike, real quick before we move on as well. How do you feel? I know we talked about it a little bit, but how do you feel about the do we need Jordan Addison versus the people who are kind of like, no, let's just not bring him in because that would make a Jai Hall upset. I think that I think that the people trying to placate uh, a Jai Hall who probably would not even be like that mad about bringing in the Bolitnikov. Like, I just think it's silly not to attempt to bring in the best, like the proven best player at their position because somebody who, you know, I've mentioned, I think that he's a Julio Jones type athlete, you know, might get upset. I just think that that's kind of crazy. Like bring in as many weapons as possible. So I wrote about this a couple of nights ago, kind of when the Addison news became official. And I think people got the idea that I was like, don't bring Addison in. There's no point. My point is I do. I no longer feel receiver is an absolute priority. So if you can yeah. land an offensive lineman or a pass rusher, depending on the number of spots available, I would probably go there. Um, but if you could get Jordan Addison, get Jordan Addison. Now, you and I have talked a lot offline about what that does to the offense and mm -hmm. um, how do you – because we've seen it where, you know, it, it feels awesome to have that many weapons, but somebody's going to go hungry. Exactly. And, and guess what? It's not going to be Jordan Addison or Xavier Worthy. Right. It's, so, it's just not going to be them. So then you're, you're probably on the pitch on – 
Whittington, Isaiah Orr, uh, Ajay Hall, those guys. So, I mean, it's all about managing that, I think. But, I, you know, if you win, you win. And, yeah. I mean, that's the goal here. And I, and I think the other thing that I think factors into that is if you're those younger guys like like Naor and um, who have a couple years of eligibility left in Hall, I mean, Aston's here for six months if he's here. Yeah. You know, so um, when, when yours or Hudson Card, whoever wins the starting job, is going to come back again, it's not like you're going to get left with, you know, some, yeah. some scrub filling in. Like you're going to be taken care of at quarterback. Right. And I think that a boost in that offense and a boost in confidence for the program and all those things benefit all the others. I just don't feel it is a major need anymore. I d- definitely attack it. I mean, you, you never want to just let value walk away for nothing. But um, I just don't feel like it's a they, they must win this transfer. For sure. I totally agree with you. Here's kind of my point for people who are on the other side. This is just how I feel about it. Take the opportunity if it's there to add the best player at wide receiver, a major positionally valuable uh, spot on the football field, rather than a lot of the other. Don't just, I guess my point, don't just add a jag at offensive line or edge because, oh, well, we need those. Yeah, we do. But adding some kid that is no better than the sixth option does nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, with the portal being what it is, the deadline being what it is, we Mm kind of know those names that are in there now. And I don't think there is an obvious offensive line guy that's like, oh, I'd rather have him. Uh, You know, you can make the argument about Isaiah Land. I've seen a lot of discussion about him and obviously his level of competition playing at the FCS level. Um, I, you know, I think. I'd leave that up to the coaches right now. They, they've got to be desperate for pass rushers. And if I they think feel Isaiah like, Land, yeah, no, I, I think Isaiah Land's awesome, but also he's a 215 pound edge who basically can only play buck in the Texas system. And it is kind it remains to be seen how effective he would be. So I just, if you're making it a head-to-head, I'd rather have Addison over anybody just because I think that he elevates an already strong position room. And, yeah, he probably does bump somebody into the cold, but I think that's better than the alternative, which is, you know, taking a risk. And it's not an either-or situation either. Like, they could probably gra- grab both if they wanted to. And I'm very pro them taking a shot on land. I mean, there's a reason why Georgia is not uh, kicking the tires on him as well, but I don't know. That's just kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, One thing we also didn't mention about guys on offense going without touches is what it does for the development of the tight end position and where I think Texas is getting into a good spot. So, you know, you're already taking away touches from your top receivers. Well, you have Joel Billingsley and Tavian Sanders, Sanders, who is kind of emerging right now. Does it take away developmental touches for him? And long term, does that hurt? That's kind of the questions I have. But I think, look, man, I mean, it's it's kind of I, I don't want to say it's now or never for Texas, but it kind of is. I mean, they've got to make a drastic improvement. Um, on the on the field and so if you think adding Jordan Addison along with the guys you've already brought in can do that then you know do it and, and work the tight end stuff out later work the other guys out later I, I think winning right now is the most important thing for this program agreed and I I think that we also are on the same page we wish it wasn't that way we wish that Sark had 
as much time to get his pro, but you know, there are realities to this. Yeah. I mean, another five and seven, six and six, hell seven and five season. And I think people are again talking about Texas looking for a new head coach. We're back in that, that spin cycle that, yep. that basically I've been in and uh, since I've started in this business and um, covered three head coaches now and uh, you're, you're kind of uh, in getting into as well. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just important that they do what it takes to win this year. So that, that would be my answer on it. All right. Before we go on to our next question, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, we're going to take a break so you guys can hear from our sponsors. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right. Uh, would Texas take all five of Niblet, Cook, Petaway, Wilson, and Great House if they could from Maz0593? This kind of fits into another question that came along about predicting the wide receiver hall as well. So I think we can cover both of those here. Um, let me see. You went you went first last time, so I'll take this you one. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think they would take all five of those guys. Um, I think that uh, – yeah, I do. I do think they would take all five of those guys. I was going to say maybe a guy like Wilson gets squeezed out in that scenario, but I do think that Brendan Marion likes him a lot. Uh, just when you look at him size-wise and, like, his movement ability for that size and, and frame potential, I think he's a guy you take a chance on, whereas Great House proved him probably a little closer to done. And then just the speed and ability of the other guys – you have to take. Um, I think you can also plug a lot of names in there. You could plug DeAndre Moore somewhere in there and take a guy out, or you could plug if Jalen Brown wants in, you could you could plug him in. Um, I, I but I think for sure they've got Niblet. They're going to wait on Cook. Um, they they love Great House. Um, they love Wilson and they love Petaway and they love more and they love, uh, it's just a really good problem for them to have this year. And, um, you know, maybe last year, if this was a scenario, we'd be looking at, well, would they take all five of those guys? And the question would be, could they get three of those guys? Um, so, uh, things are looking a little bit up under Brendan Marion there. Yeah. Mike, when I did the, uh, heat check article on wide receiver recruiting, I was kind of laughing because there were really only like eight top tier targets and there's not this second wave that we've seen in previous cycles where yeah okay well, you have your top targets and then you have you know 10 clear guys below to where when they miss on the no it's really just you have this group of five you have deandre Moore, you have uh jalen both hale and brown and then kyle parker's kind of the odd man out when it comes to a former top tier guy um so I think that they would. It would be really interesting to see what they would do if DeAndre Moore wanted in and Great House decided, okay, well, Texas is where I'm going to go, and they beat Notre Dame there, or if Petaway got locked up, or what they would exactly do. Because we know that they're going to, at the end of the day, wait on John Day Cook, but it's also hard for me to imagine the Texas staff telling any of these top tier guys know 
because all of them are elite wide receivers. It's not like any of these guys are people that we think, oh, yeah, that, that's a good player, but this is a floor setter. No, most of these guys are top 100 talents. Yeah, I mean, these are this would be probably equal to the kind of offensive line class they brought in last year. That's what I was going to – that's exactly what I was thinking, and I was going to ask you – if they did end up with five before the season, the season goes well, and Jonte decides he wants in, I think they could maybe even take six, even though from everything, when you crunch the numbers, it kind of sounds crazy, borderline impossible. But with the staff, you just know that they're not going to turn down taking elite talent. And it helps that last year they basically took one and a half receivers with Brennan Thompson counting as one and Savion Red kind of being a little bit of a tweener. Here's another thing. The D1 Council will vote in June to remove the cap on 25-man classes. Um, you know, numbers become a lot less important. And let's kind of talk about what that means. Right now, your cap is you can take 25 enrollees. Now you can count early enrollees back to the previous class. You can um, replace the number of initial counters that go into the portal after a certain date up to 32, I believe. But if you remove that, what it essentially does is turn this roster into almost like a pro roster where yep. – Hey, man, if we want to take seven receivers and that means we got to push three or four who are already on campus out, that's what it becomes. And so yeah. um, those numbers are going to become – it's already been – I would actually kind of be in favor for that just because I wouldn't have to keep track of numbers if that was the case. It would be yeah. like we're just going to take all these guys and figure it out. <laughs> um, and I, I should say, um, not going to get too deep into it, but aside, Niblet's already in the class. We're hearing a lot of good things about a couple of other guys um, at, at the receiver position who could be close to doing something. So, um, you know, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. I think that when we talk about them taking five and these kind of names, it's, it's a definite possibility. All right, let's move on to our next question. From Dan Shea, how many commitments should be expected through the end of July for Texas targets to Texas or elsewhere? So how many names off the board? Hudson, go ahead. I was looking at this question. It actually is a good question, specifically the to Texas or elsewhere part. Mike, what were you? I was thinking like 20 to 25 total off of the board, whether to Texas or elsewhere. The end of July, um, I think that a lot of kids will decide in August, which is why that number isn't higher. But official visit season, you kind of get the dominoes to start rolling. or falling. Yeah. And in July, when the dead period hits, kids start getting bored um, and they want to make those preseason commitments. And, drama. You know, it's we're already seeing it to where the kids who said, hey, I'm going to take it to the end. Now they're starting to say, I'm going to decide in the summer after I take my visits. Um, so those things are changing rapidly. I think 20, I don't know the exact, I don't know even how to account for an exact number in my head. I think 2025 is probably good. I do think we're going to see a large chunk taken off the board and that's kind of, you know, I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me. I think Texas has like over 150 offers out. So when we talk about off the board, um, you know, we're talking about out of those 150 offers. So that definitely means even guys um, like know, TJ, just, Sh I mean, like or TJ Sh Shanahan's just one or like um, 
you know, if Rico Flores decides to commit in uh, middle right. of July, that's off the board, you know. Yeah. Even guys like, uh, I'm just trying to, like, like they offer Caden Proctor, right? Like, they have no shot at landing Caden Proctor, but oh, he's yeah. on their board. Um, like, even a guy like that, I'm not saying Caden, this is me breaking news that Caden Proctor is going to commit in the summer, just using him as an example. Um, that would be a guy off the board, I think, if we're thinking that way, um, you know, it, it, it could be even a little higher, so. Um, yeah, good question. All right, let's move on to our next one. From Orange Mamba 11, can you guys talk a little bit about why Tech and Baylor have jumped out quick on the recruiting trail and do you see us offering some of their commitments? Um, first of all, I so I'm going to answer the question and I want to front load this by praising both of those staffs because I think both staffs are very good at, at identifying and evaluating and recruiting guys to their programs. Um, and then I'm going to say that, that they're also not engaged in a lot of battles for the top guys out there that want to wait. These are guys that want to commit early to get themselves a place. And, you know, look, Baylor's done a really good job, um, with the, uh, with the, uh, development process. And we saw that in the NFL draft, uh, over the, over the last weekend, you know, I think Dave Aranda is a guy that a lot of kids like. I think that staff is built to recruit well. I think Joey McGuire is getting his first year bump, which he should, and add on top of that that he's a fantastic relationship guy. He's a – I mean, like, I recall my first conversation I ever had with Joey when he was at Cedar Hill, and I wanted to play for him at Cedar Hill. So, like – and I was a, like, 35 – no, probably not 35. Probably like 30-year-old guy. So – um I, I didn't expect Joey McGuire to do anything but, su but succeed. But at the same token, their class points are weighted heavily because they have a lot more numbers than, than a lot of other people. I think that they wanted to get out to fast starts and get kind of those kids that they feel are fits for their program. And then they can kind of stay in the fights for the bigger names and, um, you know, try to play those out over a long time. So um, it's just a difference in recruiting philosophy. I think if, if, you know, they were really out there trying to land the same type of kids Texas was and, in, in, you know, or, or Oklahoma was or A&M was. They wouldn't have the numbers um, because they just wouldn't be able to, you know, nobody else has those kind of numbers either. They're, they're recruiting those kids. Um, yeah. And also, I don't know how you feel about this, Mike. Baylor always kind of recruits at this level, like. Their staff is doing a good job. I like David Aranda a lot. But I think Tech is almost on a different level from them right now. Like, Tech has a Tech has a lot of commits, and that's one reason why they are as high as they are. But I like a lot of the takes from Tech's class, especially towards the top. And specifically with the DCS offering some of their commitments. I mean, Texas just this week offered Calvin Simpson Hunt from Waxahachie, who we'll get to later. But here are a couple of guys that I could see Texas maybe offering down the line. Um, first off, I have been a big Isaiah Crawford fan since his sophomore season at Post when the Antelopes went on their um, state title runner-up run. I think he's awesome. The problem there is that Texas would probably want to see him camp over the summer, and he seems pretty locked in with tech so without getting those measurements and seeing him in person i think that could be a little bit tough 
when he decommitted from Baylor, I was a little bit excited because it seemed that Texas was going to show some interest. Um, but he quickly, uh, once Joey got the tech job, decided to stay close to home. Um, LJ Martin is a running back that I've always liked. But if Texas were to offer him, I think it would have to be as an athlete at linebacker. He's a big back. And as you, me, and Gabe talk about a lot, Mike, these running backs that translate to linebacker at the next level have a ton of success. Troy Anderson from Montana State is a good example of that. And then I think the sneaky the sneaky pick and somebody that I would love to actually see Texas offer is Jamari Davis from Clarendon as a linebacker i uh, love what were you gonna say no go ahead i'll, I'll no I'll fill I'll, in after you're done bryson washington from franklin's the guy that i've really been campaigning for texas to offer at linebacker jamari davis is just about as high on the prospect crush list that's i think one of my favorite takes tech getting him in the state of texas he is just awesome a hell of a basketball player and it translates up on the football field as well I think he's one when you're looking at it in maybe three to four years, he could be a day two NFL draft pick pretty easy. Yeah, I think a, a couple of other guys to mention, Brendan Jordan from Mansfield at safety. Uh, Huddy, very surprised you did not mention Anquan Willis. Uh, from Yeah, no, Fox I love Ryder. Anquan too. Um, yeah, I think those guys. Texas is like another guy that – um, is not committed to Tech, but I think Tech probably leads for right now is Jordan Sanford, and I think Texas could very easily get into that battle in the summer um, because I think he's a high-end athlete playing the safety position. Um, going back to L.J. Martin, Baylor took a kid uh, Texas offered late a couple years ago, and I'm blanking on his name, from down in the like Rosenberg area um, that played running back and I think Texas want him as a linebacker. And this that that's kind of what LJ Martin uh reminds me of. Do you do you know who I'm talking about, Hudson? I kind of don't. I which is uh, weird. That's kind of my niche, but is it Tyrone Singleton? I'm blanking. This is also when the listener is probably screaming and yeah, yeah, probably probably. Anyways, this guy was um, – he played down in Rosenberg ISD. Texas kind of got in on him late um, and wanted to make him a, a backer, but he was already committed to Baylor, I think, as a linebacker as – as a running back, I'm sorry. Um, and he, uh, you know, went on to, to stick with Baylor. But I really liked him. I thought he was a uh, – you know, just kind of a, a – that type of fit that you described uh, a guy like Martin as – um in, in that de- in that defense so uh yeah we love running backs that flip to linebacker i think that's uh that's probably a great one so but i mean circling back to the original question uh, they've got out quick because they have 20 guys texas probably doesn't want to have 20 guys at this point it would mean that they don't have a lot of room to oh i know you're talking about, yeah tay mcwilliams was tay mcwilliams yeah 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 that's what it was um, I, I think I see him as kind of a similar player to uh, to Martin from the way you described him. All right, let's move on to our next question. If you had to put NIL value on current roster players, excluding Bijan Robinson, Quinn Ewers, and Xavier Worthy, who would be your top five extra points for putting a dollar value on each? So I am horrible with uh, money. My wife does all of our finances, so uh, I'm gonna probably stick away, stay away from the dollar value aspect. Uh, I feel like Hudson, your background in finance is going to shine in this question. 
Yeah, um, definitely. I, just thinking off the top of my head, I mean, he's not here yet, but I think you got to throw a Jai Hall in there. Um, I think it's so weird because is the talk like NIL is who's the most marketable or who's the best player? Because, like, yeah, I think <laughs> a guy like Devon Campbell um, could be a guy that could get there, right? Like, just, you know – in a couple of years, couldn't you see Devon Campbell just having like this insane, um, like college highlight tape that's just like circulating Twitter and it's like Devon just bench pressing guys through a wall? Um, I think we are. Uh, I think Justice Finkley has like the ability and the personality to be extremely marketable. Um, so I guess I'd put him in there. Um, it's really hard when you take out the the big three. Uh, man, let me put, I'll go back to receiver and, uh, and say maybe, uh, Naor. Um, and then let me, let me find one on defense. I really love it. I'll say, uh, <laughs> that's just a personal pick of ours. Uh, Jay Montap. Okay. So here's I, I immediately when I saw this question started writing it down. I'm interpreting NIL value as the um, sorry for the people that are just listening on the NIL value where it's um, just how good of a player they are. Yeah, because that's, that's what really matters. And we've talked about this off the podcast too, but there's really no true. NIL market and it's kind of a fool's errand to try to set oh this player is worth this much it doesn't really it matters how good they are and how much the position really matters so excluding uh beige excluding I'm gonna say Quinn and Hudson excluded because whoever's the starting quarterback is gonna be worth a little bit more and excluding Xavier Worthy the two on defense that immediately came to my mind were DeMarvian Overshone and Alfred Collins they're going to be probably worth the most NIL value. And, you know, if Jade Barron is potentially getting a little bit over a hundred thousand, um, which also the $200,000 mark that I saw, I don't think that's accurate from what I heard that he was getting uh, tampered with to go. So I think that both of them would be above that probably in the upper one hundreds to 200 range. Um, and then Mike, what I was thinking shoot, I think that Rashawn actually might be in the top five for NIL value. Then I think you'd take the next best wide receiver, whether that's Isaiah Nayor or Jordan Whittington. Um, and then maybe the best tight end. But honestly, I think that it might just be both Nayor and Whittington. And then obviously, if you if they did hypothetically add Addison, he would just be in the Xavier Worthy kind of untouchable tier. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny. My dad used to say uh, something is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So I think when you put just a stagnant worth on something, um, you know, you're, you're really getting into a spot where it's like, okay. I mean, I don't think anybody probably thought Jade Barron was worth that, but somebody was willing to pay whatever the number was. So, yeah. And that's nothing against Jade either. Like we've reported all spring that he's awesome, but it's just, when you hear that six figures are getting thrown around for a guy that has a couple starts under his belt and is a promising, well, it's just staggering. 
Yeah, so you never know with the the current valuations being thrown around. All right, uh, let's move on to our next question. What's the dream D-line edge class? How high on the board is Hunter Osborne from R-I-I-S Lewis? Um, Hudson, I know you answered the last – or no, I think I did the last question first. Mm -hmm. right? You did the last yeah. one first. Okay, perfect. I was going to give this to you anyways if you had done it first, so why don't you start? I'm trying to think the dream D line edge class. I know that they would want Braylon Shelby as one of the edges. I know that they're really I'll here's what I'll do. First off, how high on the board is Hunter Osborne? I have it sourced pretty well that he's towards the top of the board now. And it's just a, Hey, it was unfortunate that we're here on you late, but we're going to pursue you. Like you're one of the top guys on our board. I mean, he's a borderline top 100 prospect that, kind of is continuing to rise and his trend line is up. So yeah, he's a absolute uh, massive priority. And then Mike help collab with me on some other defensive line edge uh, targets. I obviously Marcus deal and Zaylen's heard factor in Sadir Mitchell factors in uh, Desmond Sam, Yeah. Desmond um is a major priority at edge. Vasek is another one. Um, I'm trying to think, I think we've, kind of figured out that Samu Tamano Pepe is maybe the uh, next tier below at nose. I think Avian Carter Avian kind of falls good. into that maybe next tier um, type of lineman. I think like we've talked about it a lot. Dylan Spencer changed the math on this class on the D line because he wasn't a guy anybody was factoring in. Um, and so, you know, where maybe you were like, okay, we like Avian Carter, we like Ashton Porter, you know, it, it's one spot taken away. And, and if guys are redundant to those players, you know, they start to, uh, they start to become, you know, into tears. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I, I don't know if you finished your answer and I don't certainly don't want to cut you off, but, um, I think like a dream class right now with what we know would look something like Braylon Shelby, uh, Hunter Osborne, who I think you and I have talked about, whereas a guy like Samu, Tom Pepe, or Sadir Mitchell probably are just straight noses at this point. Hunter Osborne's got some versatility uh, to bump over and play like a three technique or something like that. Um, uh, um, real quick. Uh, another one, and this is kind of sad. This will make some Texas fans a little bit upset. But another one that's just so off of our radar for radar for um, ending up in the class. Like, yeah, da David Hicks would be a dream. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I just I think that one's dead. Neither uh, neither of us yeah. just think that it's going to happen. So kind yeah. of sad. Sorry, Texas fans, but I don't yeah. think I've officially written it. I think I said to you when we were in Houston next yeah. week, I'm going to write that I, this is officially dead, but I think everybody gets the point for sure. And I've written it a couple times too. So obviously sucks to hear, but um, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think it would look something like Shelby, Amazulu. I think they wanted Billy Walton in that class. They missed out on him. Uh, like I said, Osborne has some versatility. You've got Spencer and then you add like a Sadir, uh, Sadir Mitchell or Asamu, and then maybe one more guy. Maybe it's a plug-and-play guy that could play a couple of different things. Maybe it's Ashton Porter. Maybe that's Avion Carter. Maybe it's, you know, maybe you can. Uh, you you got to talk about again if you want. If you talked about him on the offensive line, got to talk about 
uh, Zalance Hurd and Marcus Steele on the defensive line as well, considering uh, I think it is the preference of both of those guys to play defensive linemen, although we personally feel they would be better maybe on the offensive line. Someone that's interesting, and he also now kind of fits in the uh, Marcus Steele, Zalance Hurd category, is Terrence Green. He's another one that Texas did end up offering pretty recently that while Zalance Hurd apparently is kind of warming to the fact of offensive line and Deal says that he has a preference for defensive line, but you know, at the end of the day, if he moves to offensive line and that's where the coaches think that it's best that he'll explore it. Terrence Green would be an amazing tackle, but really wants to play defensive line and he is in the mix as well now. And I don't know exactly where he stands up kind of sticks, but that he's he's another one to monitor. All right, let's move on to our next question. In a scenario from Green eighty nine, in a scenario uh, where Arch does not commit a quarterback, who would you like to see in this class? So it's kind of a nightmare scenario because if you've sunk yeah. this much time in it, you're going to be really behind. If I could have one guy that I really just him take him, it's that guy. I think for both of us, it's Jaden Rashada. And, you know, I think that Rashada is going to carry his out enough and hasn't narrowed things down a ton to where you could maybe get in, kind of like they did with Devin Brown late last year. I think there's maybe a guys who are committed to other schools. You could try to, you know, make a move on. We've talked about that in the past. There isn't an easy, like, this is a tier two in-state guy that I think they'd be okay with if they just could move to him. You know, maybe that guy's Austin Novosad, who's committed to Baylor right now. But I, I think it's kind of arch. If you don't get arch, try your hand with Rashada, and uh, and then you, you may just have to move on or take a program guy. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. Um, I know you're a big Ricky, Ricky Collins guy. Would you? Uh, how would you feel about that opportunity? For those who don't know about Ricky Collins, he is a Baton Rouge Woodlawn QB that's committed to Purdue that I've been pretty high on. And he, I think, pretty recently got a bump from 247 to four stars. Um, and it's kind of thought of as well that if LSU strikes out with their top targets, he could be the LSU quarterback take as well. So I wouldn't hate that. That'd probably be the lowest QB I'd take before punting and deciding to just attack it next year with Rayola and Saiyan and all of those 24 QBs, maybe even like a Deuce Adams type. Um, but, you know, Mike, and it sucks too, because normally I am the guy that is very pro. No, you can find a quarterback in Texas. Last year I was all about Texas. <laughs> just, you know, Hey, just take Richie Torres from San Antonio Southside. Just, take this kid, take so-and-so. And this year it's just, you know, unless Jacoby Robinson from Henderson lights it up and grows a couple inches and, you know, everything, I just can't really see it. It's just one of those rare down years at quarterback, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Texas. All right, let's go to our next question. What do you think is a reasonable NIL salary cap from Papa Horn? I don't think you should put a salary cap on it at all because the uh, – the the intent of NIL is an endorsement based thing, just like you wouldn't cap the way professional players make money off of endorsements. Now, 
if you want to say not NIL and kind of what collectives and booster groups can pay, um, Hudson, I'm gonna again, you're the financial guy. I'm gonna defer to you on this. Um, yeah, so that's what I was thinking. There's I, I agree with Mike, like for true in for true NIL for what it was intended, there shouldn't be a salary cap, but I think the intent of the question is just for say, yeah, the <laughs> more baggy uh NIL salary cap i don't know for texas what's reasonable is probably like a professional salary cap for yeah, it's, it's hard because it's for, not a level playing field right exactly so i mean if if the texas's and alabama's georgia's of the world and i guess now usc and oregon um if they had <laughs> if they had their way they would just go MLB, old school MLB or old school European soccer with it and be like, well, we're going to spend what we can. And yeah. I guess what, what y'all poors decide to spend is kind of up to y'all. Um, I don't know. There's nothing that G5 schools can spend to make it a fair salary cap. If you wanted to do power five, I guess you'd be looking at 10 to 15 is fair. If you were looking at the super conference model with the 30 to 35 schools that care the most about college football, then you're probably talking in the twenties. But I mean, even then you're going to run into problems where kids probably should be paid more. Like, I, I don't know. I might, we've talked about this a little bit, but like Nico, I'm a Leva, um, or Arch Manning or a Malachi Nelson, like truly how much money, if there was a market and there was a salary cap, would they be worth? I think it'd be in the tens of millions. Like getting a five-star guy with three years of eligibility is just kind of worth its weight. Yeah, I mean, it is. it is. I think we're getting into a very different conversation at this point, but I think if you're going to start capping things like that, there has to be all sorts of things. You have to maybe unionize. You have to have yeah. uh, contracts in place and terms and all those yeah. sorts of things. Um, it, it becomes like a professional league at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes a professional league because also you can't have this. And we're pretty pro player empowerment. I'd say you're even more pro player empowerment than I am. But there's also just this reality of, okay, if we start doing a salary cap and we start really paying people completely fully over the table you also can't transfer out when you feel like it and expect yeah. to keep your money like that's just a reality of I yeah don't know, life. yeah i mean that's any job it, it becomes at that point like a job and i think that yeah. like i said it's we're getting into a different discussion it's different exactly. than what nil was intended to be although yeah. i think we say that a lot i think that there were a lot of people in college football, like, yes, NIL is exactly what we intended. To yeah, no, this is what we, yeah, exactly. Like the, the life wallet guy at Miami is like, what do you mean not expected? I, I was prepared for this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's a different story, but well, I guess we'll kind of cross that bridge when it gets there. All right. Our next question uh, from Bryson 32, are Ruben Owens, Jonte Cook possible without Arch Manning in this class? um hudson go ahead yeah they are i think both are possible i think that just your chances are way better if you get arch i think if you want to break it down even to this question i think and we haven't talked about this a ton i think things with ruben owens are kind of 
you know, I think A&M is making a pretty big push there right now. I think as good as I felt about Texas in the last couple of months, that's starting to dwindle just a little bit. And I think that a lot of that does depend on where Arch goes. I think they can land Jonte Cook with or without Arch. Agreed. All right. Our next question from Triplet Joseph 44 out of all the players in Texas for the 2023 class, uh, who is most likely to be a top 10 draft pick? Um, I'm going to give like the, uh, the boring answer here. Um, And I'm probably just going to go with like who we have ranked the highest out of Texas. And well, actually I'm not going to do that because I think we, I'm not either. Yeah, I think we've seen positional value. Like, you go to David Hicks, right? Like, that's your immediate thought. But I feel like we have seen the positional value of some of those interior D linemen go down in recent years. Like, it used to be kind of all the rage. Um, you know, you talk and now, about – now, unless you're the freakiest of all freaks, and David Hicks, amazing prospect, but with all the amount of defensive line bodies, I think you're on the money, Mike. Yeah, traits are going to be – Big there, and I, I think David has a lot of traits, but I do think that he is not quite as tall as uh, traditional guys at his position, and um, you know I, I think he might get dinged on some of that. So I'm going to go to the I easiest. Don't want you to pick mine. I don't want you the, to pick mine, and I'm worried that you're going to. I'm going to kind of give two answers here. The easiest okay. answer would be probably Jackson Arnold, because if Jackson Arnold works out like we think he is, the quarterback positional value is going to carry him. I think my answer is going to be JV and Taviano. That was mine. So I've got, I, I think JV and Toviano is a legit top 10 pick. And I mean, I don't even know that his development even needs to be that crazy at the college level. I have another one for you. And this is a very Hudson pick. I, I know where you're going, but go ahead. Okay. Guess, guess it. I, I was going to guess Bravion Rogers. It is top 10 pick Bravion Rogers with the way that he tests how cornerbacks are positionally valued. I absolutely think that could happen. Obviously stinks that we're basically picking, you know, Jackson Arnold, OU, Bravion Rogers, A&M, but that's kind of the way that it goes. Sometimes. But here's um, another one to join that party. How about Javon Thomas? Yeah. Like, like absolutely. Um, okay. Out of, I'm trying to think. You know who I could see maybe uh, ending up as a top 10 pick that's a little bit further down the board? It would not shock me at all if Marcus Deal, if he continued to grow, if he ended up being a top 10 pick. Uncommon movement ability, great arm length, mobile. Like I could absolutely see that if he switched to the offensive side of the ball. Is it possible a guy like Micah Bell with just his insane kind of athletic package, um, you know, maybe goes to a place like Notre Dame and then all of a sudden is a, a guy that plays well there and, um, you know, traits he's going to test well, all that sort of thing. And and he could get in there, maybe not top 10, but uh, certainly first round. Um, now, now I'm kind of altering the question on the fly. If you want to pull it up on your phone and kind of look at some guys, Try to give me some hipstery picks that you could see to be a top 10. I have one, and this will not surprise you at all because it's another one of my guys. After we saw him, if you told me four years from now 
hey, Braylon Shelby just got mocked at 11 or at 9 to X team, it would not surprise me in the slightest. Edges, again, a lot of this is just positional value. Edges matter. Like getting after the quarterback and protecting the quarterback, edges and tackles are the next most important positions in football other than QB. Like, so if you told me... If you told me that he was one, that would not surprise me in the slightest. On that same token, Colton Vosick. Yeah, and that was going to be the other one that I closed it out with. I think that he could absolutely – because I think that Colton Vosick could kind of end up being that true edge, uh, maybe even slide inside as he gains muscle tweener and play a bunch of stuff at the next two levels. Like I, I think that's a fantastic pick. Yeah, here's one I'll close on. Uh, I'll go Peyton Bowen. I just yeah, that's a great I, one. I lo- I love the total package Peyton Bowen has. So yeah, safe, safety is. positional values down, but like with the Kyle, like if if Peyton Bowen ended up being a Kyle Hamilton that tested a little bit better, that wouldn't really surprise me a ton. I know that that's high praise, but that's also kind of I mean, both of us kind of view Peyton almost as a top five ish in the state guy too. Yeah, really love it. All right, let's move on to our next question here. Uh, still the same level of confidence for Arch as you did after his last visit from UT Granny. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, and as we've seen, teams are kind of starting to uh, make other moves at quarterback and kind of take themselves out of the race. I think Ole Miss did that by uh, uh, getting a commitment earlier this month. I think Alabama is close on uh, Eli Holstein, if you listen to the report. So it does look like it may be coming down to like a Texas-Georgia battle, kind of like we all envision. And I I still really like where Texas sits in this. And uh, we'll have more some more on that uh, next week, probably. Yeah, I feel the same level of confidence, if not more. And something kind of interesting, Mike, like I remember one of the first things that I wrote at 247 was that I expe- I was hearing from sources and expected Alabama to really push offer and um, probably end up taking Eli Holstein. Something I found pretty interesting, Ole Miss's quarterback take Marcel Reed from Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville. One of my best friends in the world, McKay, uh, went to Montgomery Bell, but he was kind of rumored and hinted to be Georgia's backup option if they missed out on Arch. So that move from Lane was a little bit uh, a little bit fun in my eyes too of, hey, okay, if Georgia's slow playing you, we'll just go ahead and commit here now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Lane, man. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know. I feel as good, if not better. It's just making sure that after his next Georgia visit, you're not hearing about sudden wind changes and all that. I mean, I think everybody wants what we say right now in this moment to be set in stone. And it's just, it's a moving target all the time. If any visits, anything can change. We've seen that a lot. So, but yes, yeah. I mean, Sean Mathis is a great lesson of that, of not saying things are locks three months away. Yeah. And as we've also mentioned before, the number one story we do not want to write is the, Hey guys, uh, so about us calling Arch a lock, well, we just heard from his Georgia official and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, it's yeah. just slow and steady it. Yep. All right, next question. 
comes to us from Fozzy Wazzy. Out of the four metro areas in Texas, why does it seem like San Antonio is lacking so far behind Houston, DFW, and Austin? I feel like there are a good amount of gyms in the Alamo City. There absolutely are. Yeah. I'm sorry, Hudson, is this your question? I can't remember. I, I think we've gone out of order here. But I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really, I, really matter. But the truth is, yeah, there are a ton of gyms, and I think that it's partially coverage, and I think that it's partially, uh, you know, it's just – the fourth in population so it kind of doesn't get the credit maybe that it deserves but i mean i don't know we we talk about san antonio and i don't this isn't directed at us or anything but we talk about san antonio kids a ton so from your tyler turners to your freddie duboses to even the anthony evans who doesn't have a texas offer i mean there there are a ton i mentioned recently in an NFL draft article that Jamie Johnson from San Antonio, Sam Houston is one of the true gems in that when I wrote about him, I think he had less than like 75 Twitter followers and didn't have any offers. And then all of a sudden he starts to get a little bit more exposure. He finally posts his junior huddle and people see that it's, there's this six foot six, 290 pound multi-sport hyper-athletic tackle and then Sam Houston State offers, and he starts getting follows from all these other coaches. So there are a ton of gyms, but luckily there are a lot of good trainers and other people in inter- high school coaches in and around the San Antonio area that do kind of make up for that and help get their kids um, some exposure. Yeah, the coverage has been tougher in San Antonio than the, the other major areas for us. I don't want to complain about it too much on here because people don't care, but it, it's a little tougher for us with them when we reach out. All right, our next question. Who's the best recruiter on staff and what are the reasons from P. Vaney 86 um, You know, if we're going off base last year, you got to go with Kyle Flood. I think he answered that question. Um, and the kids really resonate with Flood. They, you know, for an older guy, kind of a hard-nosed guy, they really like him. And uh, I think that he was really good in, in, in that field. Now, I think that if you're factoring in and you can't quite yet because you got to see what their final products are in year one, but I think that both Choice and Marion have the ability to be that guy on staff, you know, when we get to the end of the cycle. Yeah, I think it depends on maybe if you're trying to think who is the best recruiter right now who has the best resume. Resume guys, uh, I immediately think of Banks and Bo Davis. Um, Mm -hmm. Flood as well, but I mean, Bo's up there. It should be mentioned that even if he's not necessarily the primary or secondary on a guy, every important recruitment they have outside of basically the quarterbacks Jeff Banks shows up to at some point, you know, he's yeah. there. And and that speaks volumes about what the staff thinks about him as a recruiter. Absolutely. And also it was one of those things last year where uh, later in the cycle, you started to hear like, oh, you know, from sources, oh, don't worry. Like Jeff is also working on this recruitment and it would give Texas fans a little bit of comfort. Um, who's the best recruiter right now though? I mean, it's hard for me. The recency bias is tough on this because you don't want to give it to a guy too early and end up with people clipping this six months later being like, hey, great pick, moron. Um, But the way that Brennan Marion's recruiting, it's hard for me to – because we do hear a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, 
And I'm still kind of blown away that he, with what he did with Ryan Niblett and what we're hearing about all the other recruits on the board, like there are legit seven elite wide receivers that if they picked Texas, I would be like, yeah, that tracks, which is such a change from last year's recruiting. We should clarify. We're not saying they lead for seven elite receivers. Oh yeah. Not, but they're definitely possible situations. Exactly. All right, let's move on to our next question. Uh, also from PVNE86, what are your favorite in-state and out-of-state high schools to cover, whether Texas has a target or not? Um, Hudson, you want to start? Yeah, let's see. My favorite in-state and out-of-state high schools to cover. Um, out-of-state, Milton in the Alpharetta, Georgia area produces a ton of guys, and that's a staff that I've always gotten along with and really like. Um, so that's one. I'd love to get more in Louisiana and out in California, but you know, kind of young on the job. As far as in-state goes, I'm trying to think. I really liked Friendswood. Um, their coaching staff was awesome. I love Aldine Eisenhower. Um, those are a couple off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of one in the Dallas area that is always really good to us. I mean, South Oak Cliff's kind of an easy answer for both of us. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mesquite Horn, anywhere Courtney Allen is, we're going to be good. Um, you know, South Oak Cliff for me is probably like, I would say my homeschool kind of like, it's just, I can show up at any time. I can, you know, kind of just walk in. I think DeSoto falls into that category as well. East Texas, man, I make a trip to Texarkana every spring, regardless if they have Texas commits or not, because of the relationships I have at those high schools, especially Pleasant Grove and Texas High, um, and and have just started to have with Liberty Island. So I love going to Texarkana. I mean, it's, it's like a second, it's like a home away from home uh, kind of deal when I'm there. In the Houston area, ooh, I'm trying to think if I have like an obvious, I, I love this Houston school. Um, I mean, it's probably recency bias. I did really enjoy our trip to Eisenhower. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that uh, I think Decaney, the guys at Decaney are really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of state. It's hard unless I go to a school a lot out of state to say, like, I, I went to Sarah a couple times last year and I really liked it, but like, I didn't deal with their coaches any because it's just not like Texas. So I just kind of showed up and talked to Malik. And, um, uh, I, I really like Isidore Newman the two times I've been there. Uh, Nelson Stewart's been awesome. And, and I didn't really anticipate that with just kind of how high profile the arch recruitment has been that they would be so wide open. Um, with everything. Here's one that's kind of off the map for you. Um, I went there last year to see Shaz Preston, but St. James uh, in Louisiana has maybe my favorite out of state, like just character. His name is uh, Robert Valdez and he is Cajun to the bone. He told me that I need to try one of them praline beignets when I was there. Um, And he said, he said the word I would say praline, like praline, and I'm sure he's correct and I am not. Um, but uh, he is awesome. I mean, just both times I went out there to see Shaz Preston, just like, let me sit in, uh, you know, come on in, sit wherever you want. Like, what do you need a room to go interview him in? Like, let me get on the phone. I'll get him over here right now. Like, just an incredible place. So uh, shout out to Robert Valdez and St. James. All right. Our next question comes to us from Mitch Jeremy P. How do y'all feel? 
about Texas chances with Avian Carter just made the top four. Uh, but do we have a shot here on the outside looking in? I think we kind of covered this a little bit earlier, but yeah. I think that Texas definitely has a shot if they push. I just think it, it depends on where he kind of falls in the pecking order. Yeah, that's ba- that puts it great. All right, let's move on here. Last one, I think, right? <sighs> Almost the last one. Uh, T-man for life with the talent coming out on O-line and D-line. Are the coaches being more selective on new recruits? Should they be cherry-picking or continuing to bring in a mass amount of targets like the last set? I think you build a good core like they did last time, and now it's a little more cherry-picking. Um, it's a little more taking care of the numbers. You don't have to have seven O-linemen, and I forget what the number they took up front on D-line was, but it was that or more. Um, last year, I think that you can be a little more selective and, and by necessity, you're going to have to now that's going to change next year and, you know, each year, depending on what your roster numbers are. But this year, I think they are going to be a lot more selective. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that they're going to cherry pick as long as they're able to, you know, have the momentum on the recruiting trail. Obviously, if they have another tough season on the field, then it makes it a little bit harder to be super selective. but. If things go according to plan, yeah, they'll keep on taking only elites. Okay. And our next question from Charles Daniels. I love this question. Um, So I'm going to – we couldn't – Charles, you sends me a paragraph. We can't fit it all on the screen here. I'm going to read it raw. Uh, First of all, he wants to welcome Huddy to the show. He's pumped to have somebody who is a fan of No Interviews Please and understands what made our show great. Uh, And if – you're a newer listener. That was kind of version one of our Horn 24-7 recruiting podcast. Uh, with that being said, one of the best parts is when the guys would disagree, either on prospect or restaurant or whatever. Um, Huddy, what prospect ranking do you and Mike disagree on the most? And Mike, please give your take on the seven-on-seven seven incident that went viral. I know we ask this all the time, but how do we clean up seven-on-seven? Uh, all right, Huddy, I'll, I'll let you start on where do we disagree. And we, Listen, I, I think I, let me start by saying though, I think people think that we just agree all the time. And I've hired a yes man, and it's like you should see the D or the texts uh, group threads. It's just us at each other's throats. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I love I love this question, and I didn't get to screen. I don't screen questions beforehand, so now I'm just searching through our text messages trying to find arguments without also. You know, a lot of times with on a podcast too, you want to be kind. I'm so a lot of the true takes that we have are a little bit more refined because we also just don't want to be like, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, Chase Garbers. I know that's a quarterback at Cal or whatever, but like, yeah, that, that guy's trash. Like, we don't want to be doing that. Um, we also don't want to totally turn into like around the horn or something where we're just screaming at each for sure. other. But. I've mentioned this to Mike before, but I think Bill Barnwell, actually uh, the ESPN NFL guy, mentioned that he really liked when there was tension and a little bit of healthy, in good faith arguing on podcasts and disagreeing. And I am of that uh, mindset, too. So I love this question. Definitely. Um, Mike and I have a great working relationship and are great friends. So anytime that we have a mailbag and y'all want us to pick fights, please, uh, continue. I'm trying to think Mike, I'm, there are guys where you're like, where I'm just like, I don't like, I think I'm lower on Andre Kojo than you are. Yeah. Um, I think I'm lower on Kyle Parker than you are. I think yeah. we've talked about, and you've said, Hey, I'm, I, I feel a little better about this guy. Or I think, I think I, here's one. Uh, here's a good one. I actually had a conversation about this prospect yesterday. 
Dalton Brooks. You love yeah. Dalton Brooks. I think I Dalton, Dalton Brooks, Brooks is just a pretty good football player. Exactly. So that's that's a big Dalton Brooks is probably the best one. Um, you're a big Caleb Mitchell guy. I don't think that he is kind of uh appropriately ranked. I'm not a big Cole Welliver guy. You are bigger on Cole Welliver. Um, and those are two twenty-fours, but those are those are some good uh those are some good ones that we have disagreements on. I'm trying to think of anybody else. That... Do we have a restaurant disagreement? I'm trying to think of this. I can't remember because I slander Jersey Mike's on the regular. Are you a Jersey Mike's guy? Are you in that? Not group? really. I mean, I we we um, are normally pretty in the loop uh, on restaurants, and I nailed the El Tiempo recommendation that you ended up liking. Um, the main person that we have beef with, uh, on restaurants is probably, uh, friends of the podcast, Guy Frazier and former Horns 24 seven employee, Nick Harris. So I think yeah. restaurants were actually pretty good. It's outside of Takis. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the snack related, but it is the biggest one. I'm a big Takis fan. Mike is not, if you're not aware, it's a, um, Mexican rolled corn, like chili lime snack that, uh, Mike's not a spicy food guy. Um, not by choice, but he just, uh, isn't. So that's a, that's a point of contention. We also think that food is just like drawn down the age line. You're either on one side or not based on how old you are. Oh, uh, here's Um, another one. You're, you're a lot higher on Brendan Jordan than I am. You mentioned him during the, um, the other segment. I'm kind of going down the list now. I'm trying to yeah. think. I mean, there there are definitely guys. We I mean, we had a group text argument all night last, for like two hours last night, basically on just a wide array of guys. So, of where we think they they are, but you know, you don't get access to everything on the pod. You don't get to see what very we, true everything we say in private. I'm just going to say this. I, I I think we've satisfied that. Unless you find something else you want to weigh in on here, let's move to the seven on seven incident. If you're not aware, didn't see the video. Uh, it was a celebration, and then basically a kid got cold cocked from behind for celebrating by the player he celebrated on, knocked out cold on the field. Um, to be fair, he did touch the kid. Did touch the other? Yeah, kids. yeah, absolutely. That's like the new celebration is to pat him on top of the head um, when you catch a ball over them. And I think I've said for a long time, and we cover a lot of seven on seven on the show. We talk about it because it is a good venue to see kids. But I think at times seven on seven culture is extremely toxic. It leads to this because. Everybody wants to hype it up, right? All the videographers there want an awesome video of you humiliating some other kid or dunking on the goalpost or something. And then everybody, when something happens, goes, you know, they're the the guy in the hot dog costume going, you know, we're trying to find the guy who did this. Um, So I I don't know. I don't know that there's a way to clean it up Um, because kids, I, I mean, these tournaments just aren't equipped to to deal with that sort of thing so what do you 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 kick a kid out of the tournament well how good is your security because a couple months ago i went to a tournament where kids were literally getting eliminated on one team and then just suiting up for another team in the next game yeah and it's not like anybody noticed i noticed because i know the kids and i was like hey i saw him play this morning with a different team but it's not like your officials are going to be like hey we got to get this kid off here so i I don't know that there's a way to clean it up without making like major major changes to it 
what would have to happen is I think that some organization would have to take a massive amount of market share and then really just clean stuff up. But then you're talking about staffing on a level that I don't think that a lot of these tournaments really can. Um, and I think that's the biggest problem is you just don't have enough staffers and you don't have enough staffers that kind of care to be put in awkward situations. Like we were at a seven on seven tournament where five-star wide receiver Zachariah branch was basically kind of getting tormented by a team. And, you know, it's, there were ha half of the field was covered with just kids trying to get closer to put, you know, videos on Snapchat or Instagram live or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I don't see a way that it, yeah. And if correct. something if something pops up that's like ultra codified and like all that, the people are just gonna be like, we don't want to play in that. And somebody else is gonna pop up over here and says, We're gonna let you do whatever you want and yeah, pay a little more absolutely. money and come do that. So I, I don't know. I think it's broken and I'm not sure there's a way to fix it. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and I just also also, a, real quick, too, AAU basketball has kind of been asking the same question for like 30 years. So, I, yeah. I mean, seven on seven is just following the trend of AAU yeah. and it's just behind, you know. All right. Well, the low battery indicator on my computer just came on, which means the show is over. And we've gone an hour 20 here. So, you guys have gotten a lot of bonus content. Thank you guys for uh, submitting your questions, for listening each week. Thank you to Taylor Estes for producing the show, getting the questions uh, put up on the screen here for us and making everything look good. For Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach, and we'll see you guys next week. The chilling new original docu-series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.